0: It is so good to see you all this morning. We're so glad that you're here in the house on this Palm Sunday, 2023. For 2,000 years, Christians have been... I got the worst palm branch in the whole... Look at this thing. I think there's even a bird who hit this palm branch. Can I get another palm branch, Tom? That, this is this, Retire this one. I would, I, I would like the pastoral palm. Thank you. Thank you. It's much better. So, for 2,000 years, Christians have been waving this because on this day, nearly 1,990 years ago, the Lord Jesus went into Jerusalem to do the most important thing that had ever been done in human history. They recognized that Jesus was coming to bring them victory because that's what a palm branch is it's a signal and sign of victory. Except they didn't know just what victory Jesus was going to win in Jerusalem that week, did they? But you do. You know what victory Jesus won in Jerusalem that week. And we're going to celebrate the way Christians have for almost 2,000 years this morning on this Palm Sunday. Welcome, I'm Pastor Matt. We're so glad that you're here with us. For those of you who are online, we're glad to see you as well, or at least you see us and we imagine that you're there. Uh, We're so glad that you're worshiping. If you are new or new ish to Victory Life and would like to get to know us, we'd love to get to know you. The most simple way of doing that, if you're in the house, is to grab a card from the seat back in front of you, fill that out, take it to the Welcome Center after the service today, and Meet our wonderful team, and they'll be happy to take that from you. Give you a gift if you're online. You can go onto the new here tab and let us know about your attendance. And every week, we have people that let us know who they are, what they're doing, and uh, how we can pray for them, which is such a blessing. We have massive things going on this week, lots of things going on this week. But the week kind of started yesterday. I'd like to thank so many of you who came out to our work day yesterday and got the property looking so beautiful. Thank you. Uh, from, from some of the youngest children to the oldest adults, you came and uh, served this church in a very practical sense. So we're thankful to you for yesterday and serving the church in that way. Uh, but coming up this week, our next service is going to be on Friday at 3 p.m. We're going to have a Palm Sunday service. It's going to be absolutely beautiful, absolutely reverent. It's a very special time as we get to take communion together. And we'll really look forward to doing that on Friday at 3 p.m., for those of you who are wondering if you can get off work, ask your boss. Uh, if you can come at 3 o'clock, who doesn't want to get off early on a Friday to come to church? Uh, you can do that according to Title Seven of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. You can ask your, uh, your bosses, your superiors for the time off, and they should grant it if they can. So we'd love to see you at 3 p.m. because that was the time at which Jesus gave his all for us. Also coming up next week, of course, is Easter Sunday morning. As you walk out of the service today, you can trade your palm branch for an invite. Uh, We have some really beautiful invites that you can take to your workplace or to your neighborhood this week. We would encourage every single person to invite at least one person. I was talking to one lady this morning that says, I'm going to post this at work. And I said, you know what? Somebody who's looking for a church on Easter Sunday, maybe who hasn't been in church since the pandemic began, is going to come because you did that and that's going to be the case for many of you so take one of those as you leave today and come back ready to celebrate the resurrection of the lord next week for those of you who came ready to give this morning of your tithes and offerings you know how to do that for those of you who may be newer but would like to participate in that there's three ways to do it you can text to give you can give online or we have a lovely offering box as you exit the sanctuary this morning you can put your gift in there and that'll be taken down Uh, to the safe in the trustee room uh, to to be counted later on. So thank you for giving generously unto the Lord this morning. At this time, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to invite you to physically take that palm branch and do like this for a minute. Now, was that so hard? Unless you've got something going on in your elbow, in which case, I apologize, get the cortisone shot later. All right? So you did that, you can put it back down. I, I just thank you. I just wanted to make sure you could. And so the kids are up front this morning because they're going to lead us in singing Hosanna in the very same way that the crowds going into Jerusalem that Sunday morning welcome Jesus. This palm branch is a sign of victory. Let's wave these as we sing and celebrate the victory of Jesus over sin, death, and the grave this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to defeat our greatest enemy, death and the grave. We are grateful to you this morning, Lord Jesus. We say unto you, Hosanna, save us, for you have and you will. We sing of your victory in this place today with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.
1: Let's wave our palm branches this morning. Praise is rising. Praise is so good to us. Would you bow your heads this morning? And let's take a second to focus on our Lord and who he is and what he's done. Jesus, you are the center of our joy. You've given us new life because you sacrificed your life for us. You've given us hope eternal because you rose from a grave to life again. We love you this morning. We praise you and we thank you for the gifts you've given. This morning, Lord, would you receive our hearts back as we worship you and as we tell you i Just love. So he-
0: The Lord Jesus said that the greatest of all the commandments was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest, to give back love unto the Lord with all that we are and all that we have. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we have followed your commandment this morning, that we have shown our love for you, because, Lord, you have done so much more for us than we deserve by giving your life for us on that cross. Lord Jesus, we do love you today. We do honor you today. And we ask, Lord, that every ounce of our being, every effusion of praise would be for the glory of the one who gave himself up for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen, God bless you. You may be seated. Well, it's a bittersweet day for us here at Victory Life. We're moving into a special time of our service today because today, for the second time in the last four months, we will be saying goodbye to an elder couple. This time, they are not retiring. They are moving to Virginia. Today is a special day because we say goodbye to two of the longest serving members of Victory Life Church, Randy and Susan Barth. They've been here since the beginning of this church 39 years ago. And they were part of those original church members who saved and worked and sweat to buy this property, build this building. And as I mentioned, they leave this week to join family in Virginia. The ministry of Randy and Susan to this body of believers over these last 40 years is outstanding. Randy served as treasurer of this church for 20 years. There has never been a trustee that has served as long or as dutifully as Randy Barth. Over the years, he has taught and mentored countless men. He has led our second longest standing life group only to that redhead who was up here last week. So he can't be the first, but second. Um, He's been an elder for over a decade, and he has been somebody who, when you need a word from the Lord, has laid his hands on your head or your shoulders and prayed with you, wept with you, and rejoiced with you. Susan, that mad genius that you are, you, Randy said I could say that, you've ministered to countless women. I've watched you do it you participated in drama ministry women's ministry prayer ministry as an artist and muralist for our children's department a decorator for countless spaces and events and you uniquely uniquely ministered to women here in leadership to both of you we are incredibly incredibly grateful for what you have meant to this body as I mentioned in a few days they'll be leaving for Virginia to be closer to family but they truly leave a great big family behind. And with that in mind, we put together a little video to give you a feel and an understanding of their service here to the church. So if you'd be so kind as to direct your attention to the screen, you'll hear more about their ministry here at Victory Life.
2: you ministered to them, and you held them up, you cried with them, in the high times you rejoiced with us, you lifted us up, you sang on Thank mm-hmm. you. Gracias.
0: Randy and Susan, you have been a bedrock for this church for nearly four decades. You've lifted the tired and weary saints with words from the Lord and prayers of faith. You've corrected the wayward, exhorted us by the word, been models of righteousness in an unrighteous world. You've demonstrated how to love and serve Jesus. On a personal note, you lifted my parents' arms, now you've lifted mine and Gina's arms. Very grateful for that. A church cannot replace a Randy and Susan Barth. You simply thank God for the time they poured into you. And you ask God that one day you can be to others what they have been to you. That's my prayer for us. That we would take your life, your ministry, your example, and live it before others. Would you two stand, please? And would you all join me in honoring the Lord by recognizing Randy and Susan's commitment to this body. We thank you. God bless you. And when you're in town, you better come see us or we'll be bitter. All right, children, you may be dismissed as this time. The palm branches are for you to keep. In fact, if your parents are feeling industrious, they'll get on YouTube and find out how to make those palm crosses that are so cool this week. And we will also pick up all those palms that are on the floor a little bit later on. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me in the book of John to John chapter 12. As we take a look this morning at this very thing that we are celebrating in this place, which has come to be known as Palm Sunday throughout the history of the church. Now, I just want to say to you, thank you once again for those of you who were at the workday yesterday. I was completing a little bit of vacation. Thank you to Kim Smith, who uh, taught so powerfully last week, encouraging you to strain towards the mark that god has given you in this life i was straining my way towards washington dc at that particular time took the kids to dc to enjoy a little bit of patriotism on spring break we had a really nice time i did not know as i was driving into the city that day that i was going to be going into the city on the same night there was an asian heritage festival a hip-hop festival and a kite flying festival So for two hours, after getting on whatever bridge that is that takes you into D.C., I was in wall-to-wall traffic, thinking that my trip was ruined. But we eventually made our way. We parked about six six blocks from the National Mall, and we made our way towards the Lincoln Memorial. And as my kids counted the steps up to see old Abe, I thought to myself, I have arrived. I planned this trip. I I laid out this trip. I wanted this trip to be special. I wanted to inspire patriotism in my children. And here we are. They're counting the 87 steps from the whatever it is, the reflection pool, up to see, see old Abe. Perhaps one of the most poignant moments there's a depiction in one of the Smithsonian's where George Washington is giving his sword back to Congress after he wins the Revolutionary War in 1783. And authors have uh, talked about this for the last 200 years, that a man who was at the height of his powers with an army behind him, who had just defeated the greatest Navy-slash-Army in the world at the time, gave up his power back to a Congress full of people who might not have been sitting there in 1775 when he was commissioned could have had it all by the world's standards, yet gave it away. Yet today, we're going to see an even more remarkable giving away when somebody who was at the height of their powers decided to give even more than just retiring from public life. In fact, Palm Sunday is a day that we recognize Jesus for reaching the mountaintop, yet giving everything away. I don't know if you feel at some point in your life like you've arrived, you've made it, the plans worked. I felt that way as I stood there at the bottom of, of the reflection pool watching my kids go up towards the Lincoln Memorial. We'd been on the road all day and I'd planned this trip and they were enthused to go up and see old Abe and I thought I've done it. The trip has been made. We can go by all the monuments tonight. We can enjoy ourselves. I have arrived. Mountaintop moment, I was excited. Maybe you've had a mountaintop moment in your life, you've scrimped, you've saved, you did the grunt work, you stressed, you planned, you served, you gave, you exhausted yourself, and and then you made it. Maybe you finished your degree, maybe you paid off your mortgage, maybe you got that big promotion at work that you've always deserved. Maybe you finished a project or a home renovation, your kids are starring on the field or or the stage, or maybe your kids marrying someone great, they're finishing their degree. It feels good to arrive at your destination. But when we are on the mountaintop, when we are at that place of satisfaction, we have the opportunity to see possibilities and things that can happen that we've never seen before, a future that... We can look at and say, I can conquer you even more because I have ascended this mountain. Today we're going to see Jesus arriving on the mountaintop. Many of you, if you have read the Gospels, you know that Jesus is often misunderstood, maligned, opposed, and rejected throughout his ministry. But when he got to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he is lauded as the Savior Messiah that he is. The throngs of people finally love him. He's on a lofty perch, both figuratively and literally, because on Palm Sunday, he ascended into Jerusalem, what the prophets called Mount Zion. But what we celebrate this week is not his arrival on the mountaintop. We celebrate what he saw when he got there. Palm Sunday, in human terms, is where Jesus hits the big time, Jerusalem, at the Passover. Huge crowds, his hour has arrived. But what he does when his hour has arrived is almost shocking, and it should shock us into the realization that no matter what we accomplish in life, no matter what our arrival place is, no matter what mountaintop we have stood on, what makes us as people is what we do at the time of our arrival. I'd like you to look down with me at John chapter 12, verse 9 and following. And we're going to see the arrival of Jesus on the mountain. Verse 9, when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was in Bethany, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well as Jesus, because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus, The next day, this is Palm Sunday, the large crowd that had come to the feast had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took out branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they'd heard that he'd done this sign, the sign of raising Lazarus. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see we're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Jesus had ascended. He'd arrived. He'd arrived. Now, keep your finger in John chapter 12. The story of this arrival is not yet over. But this is a massive, massive moment. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, he'd stayed away from claiming that he was the Messiah. Certainly he was. Certainly he was the long-awaited Savior. But he knew when he claimed to be the Messiah or admitted that he was the Messiah, we were one step closer to this very thing. The leadership of Jerusalem, both the priests who were Sadducees and the lawyers and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they were going to try to make an end of him. Because if the Messiah has come, they're no longer in charge, right? So Jesus had waited three years into his ministry to do things and admit things that looked Messiah-like until now. See, he goes and finds a colt, another sign of victory. The king who has uh, won victory in Jewish literature does not ride into Jerusalem on a stallion He doesn't need the war horse anymore. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey because no one's going to attack a man on a donkey who's won everything. So here he is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The palm branches are being waved. He is admitting that he is who they thought he was. He is admitting that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the one that they've been looking for. Look at what they say in verse 13. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That's the crowd's expectation. The great miracle worker of Galilee is here. He is the Messiah. He is going to assert his kingship. Now his victory was not just a victory of public opinion. His victory had been over the grave as well because part of the crowd that was made up that day of these throngs of people waving their palm branches and throwing their cloaks on the ground, as the other Gospels tell us, are people who are going, He raised that dude, Lazarus, from the dead, and I saw it. He was in the grave for days, and Jesus said Lazarus came out, and he did. He was dead, and he'd been dead for a while. Perhaps the greatest verse in all of scripture is not Jesus wept, which is in that same passage of John chapter 11. Perhaps the greatest one, and I quote the King James, Lord, you can't bring him out, surely he stinketh. He'd been in the grave for a long time. And Jesus brought him out of the grave. So there's a crowd going, I know you've heard he heals the blind. I know you heard about that feeding of the 5,000. I know you've heard about him healing the lame. I know you've heard about him healing the leper. But that dude was dead. He was dead, and he's alive again. So Jesus is going up to the crowd. There's a crowd behind him going, this guy is it. And there's a crowd in front of him going, we hope he's it. And the Pharisees say, uh, uh, what a great line. See, we're gaining nothing, verse 19. Look, the world has gone after him. Jesus is more popular than he's ever been, and they're losing. They're losing big. Do you ever get to that moment, maybe your favorite team is in the playoffs, maybe you're watching them and you're enjoying them and you realize it's over. My team is losing. I have no hope. I'm depressed. I'm down. It's over. Well, these guys had so much more at stake than some Super Bowl or playoff game. They were the leaders of Israel, and Jesus had ascended. He had arrived, and he was admitting he's the Messiah, and the people want to make him their king. He had come, this Jesus, in the most humble way possible. He'd become obedient to two parents who had flaws and failures. For three decades, this Jesus had lived like us, seeing and suffering from temptation, want, and hurts. For three years, Jesus had rocks for pillows. For three years, he'd shown compassion and forgiveness to the worst of sinners. For three years, he would taught the people over and over again who were oftentimes obtuse to his message. For three years, he'd healed the sick, given sight to the blind, laid holy hands on the lepers. He'd cast out demonic foes from the most wretched of people. For three years, he'd been challenged by Pharisees. For three years... He'd been followed by people who may just be hoping to see a miracle, not really interested in the miracle worker. For three days, he gave of himself unto the point of physical and mental exhaustion, and now the work was paying off. The crowds love him. He's being seen for the messianic king that he was. He's at the top of the mountain, and the next few verses will describe that it's getting even better. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And for those of you who have your finger in your Bible, you're like, how far are we going to go today to the end of John? No, we're not going to go to the end of John today. We're just going to make our way down through a few more verses and make sure that we see this entire story for what it is. So here, the Greeks, the God-fearers, remember the God-fearers that we've been talking about in the End of the World series? These people who were of Greek descent, but who had had the Old Testament in their language. They believed in the one true God of Israel. They loved the ethics and morals and the expectations of the Jewish people. They had come to the Passover to celebrate, and now folks that are not even Jewish are going, I want to meet him. I want to talk to Jesus. Not just Jews now, people from the greater Greco-Roman world are interested in who Jesus is. This is the moment that Jesus can expand operations. Perhaps from a venerated kingship in Jerusalem, he could begin to spread his message throughout the world to the Greeks as well as the Jews. Onwards and upwards. He's not going to need the Apostle Paul to shine his light to the Gentiles. Jesus can shine his own light. This is his moment for operations to expand. See, he's at the top of the mountain. And the future possibilities are before him. And in verse 23, Jesus is going to show us he knows, he knows in verse 23 that his arrival, his big time mountaintop experience has come. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He gets it. He hears of these Greeks who want to meet him, and he goes, yep, yep, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior, and it is time to bring all glory and honor unto me. Jesus, the humble servant's hour, has come. He was born in a manger. He was the healer of the sick, the preacher to the poor, the friend to the sinner, and now he's going to assert his kingship and call to himself Eternal glory, he's reached the top of the mountain. As he said, his hour has come, and he can be glorified. Jesus can be done with the grunt work. He need not humble himself any further. He's paid his dues, served his time, given of himself. Now he can be served. He can lead from this venerated throne in Jerusalem. His hour has come, and glory was to be his. He knows it. And therefore, verse 24 tells us exactly the future possibilities he sees from this exalted position. Look at verse 24. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That is not the way the story has been trending. Th- that is not, this is, this, is an, this is an unexpected thing here. Jesus, the Messiah, even the King of Israel, has gone up to Jerusalem anticipating his victory. And he said, What? Verse 24, we'll read it again. At the height of his popularity, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. If I'm standing there as Philip and Andrew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, huh? Jesus, I just told you that some Greek people want to come meet you. This is big. And he says, truly, truly, death awaits. I don't know about you, I'd be shaking my head. You've paid your dues, Jesus. You've served the people. You've gained popularity. You're the king. What are you doing? Everybody here loves you. You've done your service. You've proved your humility. What are you talking about death for? Well, we know. We know. They didn't. We know. They admit they didn't know. They they saw these things being done to Jesus, but they didn't understand what was happening. But, But we have the Gospels to look back at and read and understand that the victory that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to secure, it wasn't about him. It was about us. He didn't go to Jerusalem to be served. He went to Jerusalem to serve The victory that Jesus was going to secure would not just be for the Jews, but for the Greeks and for all who were far off, because he went to Jerusalem to defeat our greatest enemy and secure a victory over death and the grave. He was to be glorified through further humility, through further sacrifice. His hour had come. When Jesus arrived on the mountaintop, he wasn't going to live his best life. He chose to give his best life. Here on the mountaintop, when Jesus could have made it all about him, he made it all about us. For him to be the king that those people needed, he had to defeat death for them. And the only way to defeat death for Jesus was to experience it and overcome it. You know, the disciples have already written, John has already written, after he was glorified, it made sense. But the glory that Jesus is bringing to himself is not to sit on some throne in a palace in Jerusalem. The glory he was bringing himself was through humility and sacrifice. Now, I can't honestly say that this was the greatest temptation of Jesus' life. I can't say that. I don't know. But I certainly can say, here on the mountaintop of life, Jesus overcame a temptation that many of us cannot and are not. This week, we remember that Jesus who could have had it all by the world's standards, but instead he gave it all up because the world's standards are trash. The world's standards are filthy, me first, my truth, my best life, sinful rags, And God's standards are humility and servanthood. Jesus knew this. Do we? I want to read for you today two more verses, verse 25 and 26, because Jesus, ever the teacher, at the height of his ministry, realizes that we might get to this certain temptation as well, that we might get to the point that we've accomplished all that we've set out to accomplish, and we can see all the future possibilities, and we might need a wake-up call. So in verse 25, he gives us such a wake-up call. He says to Philip and Andrew, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You see, in Jesus' case, glory came through sacrifice. In our case, Being honored by our Father comes through sacrifice. Eternal honor comes not from preserving your life and your accomplishments and the things that you want to get out of this life. It comes from giving it all away. Many of us have achieved some worldly satisfaction, some great achievement. And we've said to ourselves, we can be done with the grunt work. I don't need to humble myself any further. I've secured for myself the good life, the American dream. And Jesus says the only way to live a good life is to give it away as I'm about to. Too many of us are saving ourselves for ourselves. Telling ourselves repeatedly, I've got to do good by me. I've got to love myself I'm no good to anybody if I don't take care of myself first. Jesus did not choose to live his best life. He chose to give his best life. And that's the exact same thing that he expects of you and me. He declares to us in verse 25 and 26 of John chapter 12, stop trying to live your best life Jesus taught you to give your best life. Jesus taught you to give of yourself until the day you die. And in this way, the Father will honor you. In this way, we can display our love for the Lord Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I fear today that many of us are living our best life by the world's standards. We've secured a sense of satisfaction from what we've accomplished. We've secured for ourselves some sense of personal glory because we here in America have the opportunity to live with relative financial security and to pursue first world things over and over and over again. We have joy in so many activities and opportunities that folks around the world do not have. We have so much wealth for many of us that the biggest problem is what bucket to put it in and how to spend it. We have secured for ourselves the mountain of the world. But Jesus ascended to Mount Zion that day to secure for you and I eternal life. What are you working on? What are you giving your life to today? As Kim challenged us last week, what are you straining towards right now? Can you answer that question? What are you straining towards? What are you working towards right now? What are you working towards? Are you working towards living your best life or are you straining to give your life away for the sake of Christ? What is it? See, I I trust the Lord. He's really faithful. He brought things across your mind's eye. Some of you let it flit away as fast as it came because you didn't want to admit it to yourself. I know that because that's what I do. I don't want to admit what I'm straining towards. Uh, No, no, no. I really love Jesus, but I'm not straining towards giving of myself. I'm straining towards getting for myself. Jesus says this is not the standard. When you arrive, it's only time to sacrifice and humble yourself more. And if we're not doing that today, let's get our hearts and our spirits right and start giving of ourselves on this holiest of weeks. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we admit to you today that many of us do love our lives. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father of heavenly lights. God has given us all things for our enjoyment. Lord, we do enjoy many things in this life. And I don't doubt that you did. I don't doubt that you enjoyed friendship and camaraderie, food and drink, love and giving love. Lord, I I know that you enjoyed those things just as we do. But Lord, the real question is not whether or not we enjoy parts of this life that you've given us. The real question, Lord, is what we're doing with this life that you've given us. What are we straining toward? What are we hoping to accomplish before you call us home? And, Lord, if we're straining towards the wrong things today, I pray that you would convict our hearts, reminding us that the real thing is to give it away. Not to take it unto ourselves. At the moment that you could have taken all worldly things unto yourself, you gave your life away. Lord, can we do the same? Can we do the same? If God is calling you to strain towards something different today, would you just pray your prayer to Him right now? Say, God, what would you have me give? my life for? What would you have me strain towards today that I'm not straining for right now? What humility and sacrifice are you asking of me? Because I'm loving my life in a way that I was never supposed to. What are you asking? Would you ask him? Would you have a time of prayer with the Lord today before you leave this place? Do it right now. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd put us in position where we don't concern ourselves with what you're going to say to us when we see you. Instead, Lord, I pray that you'd put put us in position where when we see you, we can say with all our heart, I tried to be like Jesus. I tried. I failed, I didn't do as good, but I strained to be like my Savior. May that be true of all of us, Lord Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, if you are able today, would you stand with us? I trust that God's word has spoken to your hearts today because it never returns void, as the writer of Isaiah said. On your way out this morning, I do encourage you, get an invite for next week and ask God to give you an opportunity to give it to just the right person. If you're really bold, get five invites for next week, and ask God to give you five people to give it to. We're going to hear about Jesus' triumph over death in the grave next week. It's going to be a great day to see people come to know Jesus for the very first time. God bless you. We'll see you.